Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you a sneakerhead? Yeah, boy! A baller? Ballin'. Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. Nice take by James. Oh, he stops! LeBron James puts it down in the face of James Johnson. Kevin Durant way outside. Delivers! Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six-point game. And it goes off to Kobe. Dribble drive Kobe underneath. Puts his nose on the line again. Makes the basket. He's fouled. Oh, what a play. And Kobe, after he was fouled, after the ball nestled in the net, he waved to a cameraman down in front. Says, take my picture, baby. Sixers running the break. Iverson accelerating to the jam. It's kicks and bricks where we got game on the streets and on the court. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. And here's your host, Jamel Cutler. What up, what up? Welcome to Kicks. Today we have one of the stars of the hit Broadway play, Thoughts of a Colored Man and Swagger currently playing on Apple TV. My guy, Mac Wilds. How you doing? I'm good, man. How you feeling? I'm all right, man. I'm happy to be alive, and that's all I can really ask for. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. So, like, we're a few weeks into Thoughts of a Colored Man. Are you happy with the way that the play has been received from critics so far? Absolutely, man. And not even just by critics. You know, I I think a lot of times we get caught up in the whole looking for the looking for the okay from the critics like oh you know this is fly if the critics say so but what I what I go off of is um, the critics and the critics have been saying it's amazing and we appreciate you guys for saying so but really it's the people man everybody comes to that show and 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 leaves feeling changed or leaves feeling something deeper than they felt when they walked in I, I tell everybody you're not what we have on that stage, it's not, you're not coming to see a Broadway play as the Broadway plays that you know them to be. You're coming to experience something, so. What has been like the most rewarding part of Thoughts of a Colored Man? You know what's crazy? The most rewarding part was the rehearsal process. So when we were doing rehearsals, hold on. When we were doing rehearsals, mm-hmm. um, one of the first things that our director, Steve Broadnax III, he came into the room, everybody's standing around. We didn't know what we were gonna, what we were about to see. We came in and he said, listen, I wanna let you guys know. And it's funny because you know, this everybody's in the room that you had like a few white people sprinkled in and people here and there, whatever. He said, I want you guys to understand that what we are doing in this rehearsal room, we are decentering whiteness, we are decentering colonialism and the and the and the the idea that the white man has control we are we are not doing the usual western way of doing plays this is something for us by us 
And when I tell you, all of us were like, every single morning, literally every single morning when we came into rehearsal, usually whenever you do a, a television show, a movie show, a movie, a even other Broadway plays, they tell you whatever you're feeling at home, all of the things that, you, that you've been through that day, leave it at the door, make sure that you come in and you just do the show. He, was, he made sure every single day, wherever you are today, bring that here, bring it right here. We're gonna work, this is, that's where you're gonna work from. We're gonna work from where you, what you're feeling today and you're gonna take it wherever you need to take it. So every day we would always start up with a check-in. Everybody goes, everybody gets in a circle, whether you wanted to say two words, whether you wanted to say a million words, like, yo, I feel good today, I'm checked in. Or if you really wanted to break down where you are and what you're feeling, we gave everybody space. It didn't matter how long it took. We gave everybody the space to just be in the moment and be where you are. And that was, I'm telling you, the, the things that we that we did, the things that we talked about, the it, every single day of rehearsal felt like therapy. The play could have ended; nobody could have ever seen it if we just did rehearsal. I would have I would have been happy with that. So, still talking about the play, how does it feel to be back on Broadway following the pandemic and all the questions that the pandemic had? Man, it feels good, man. You know. Uh, so this is my first time ever being on Broadway. And for me to come and for this to be my first time on Broadway after the pandemic, after people didn't even know if Broadway would come back, after everything that happened that was going on in the world with the Black Lives Matters movement and everything, just, and to be able to tell a story like this, we're not, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing, man. It's amazing. I, 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 I couldn't ask for, I couldn't ask to be in a better place at a better time. Can you talk about like, what was it like working with Keenan Scott? We also had him on um, earlier this summer and he was saying mm -hmm. how, how this play is like one of the most important things that he ever wrote in his life. Yeah, man. Keenan is a genius. I've told him, I've told Steve, I will follow y'all to the deep depths of hell if I have to. Like, you just let me know what we doing and I'm rocking. Just the way that his mind works, the way that he writes, and just both of us, just, just both of us coming from a place where a lot of us don't make it out of, you know? Coming from the projects where a lot of us don't make it out of there. It, it feels amazing, man. It, it's it's he's he's revolutionary, and and I appreciate that man more than life itself. Earlier, you mentioned about that you guys had left. Like you brought your feelings from home to rehearsal. Like, um, did you discover anything about yourself while portraying anger? Oh, absolutely. I think every single show we do, you kind of learn a little more about yourself. You learn a little more about the character. Things hit you differently. And the crazy thing is, it's not just anger that I'm learning more from. I'm learning from every single character. Because you can see a little bit of, I can see a little bit of myself in, in every single one of the characters, you know, just being foreign in certain places and, and trying to make sure that what I consider home stays like home 
you know, I've been, I've, I've been every single one of the emotions. So I'm learning every single day, you know, the lines just hit me different ways every single day. So I'm learning more about myself. I'm learning more about the characters. Just, yeah, man, it's, it's a daily process, which is amazing. We as Black men, like, what can the audience, you know, like, what's the main takeaway from anger? That angry doesn't always look like somebody screaming or yelling, you know? Anger is, anger can just be a chip on the shoulder or some, or to someone, it could look like just a chip on the shoulder or anger can, there's so many different facets to anger in itself that I think, uh, yeah, anger isn't anger, anger in itself isn't a monolith. You know, not even black men aren't a monolith, but anger, the, the emotion of anger, not even me being the personification of it, the actual emotion of anger itself isn't a monolith. It comes in different shapes and forms. Can you talk about like some of the biggest challenges that you face, like, like when you were portraying anger? One of the biggest challenges would be to allow myself to get angry every single night and figuring out how to decompress that. That's a hard, that's a hard thing to do every single night. Sometimes I don't fully decompress and I gotta, I gotta make sure that, that, that on my way home that I listen to whatever music kind of helps me pull myself out of that. Or, you know, I make sure that I'm around some people that I love that I can, I can really pull myself out of that or I'm, or I'm gonna bring it home to, to my wife and my, and my daughter. But it's that I think that's the hardest thing really allowing my first first allowing myself to be that angry to turn the fire on which we're not allowed to do all the time and then figuring out how to turn it off that's the that's been the hardest part for me I feel that the play and the multi-generational aspects that 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 each character has it added like an extra layer of community that we really don't see anymore. Yeah. Like out, like outside of the barbershop or or just in general. Like, mm-hmm. like for me and my family, I only see that like at funerals or like family reunions. Yeah. Like stuff like that. So yeah. No, that's that's I think that was another thing that uh there's a there's a part in the play that passion is talking about that kind of like, yo, whatever happened, what happened to the OGs? Like what, whatever happened to the guys uh, of, of yesteryear that sat on the corner and, and, and told us, you know, what to look out for and what not to look out for in these, in these hoods, man. You know, it seems like, it's like, he, I think he says, you know, it seems like the kids ain't listening to nobody and nobody's listening to them. Big facts, man. And also like the play kind of touched on gentrification like there's like mm-hmm. like now in Brooklyn there's a whole bunch of Whole Foods like them city bikes be taking a parking yo bro I can't mm-hmm. stand them. and it's um, crazy it's crazy <laughs> yeah and uh and uh, eviction notices from people who's been living in these communities for like 20 30 years and now mm-hmm. they just getting kicked out just for some people from basically Minnesota or or wherever like do you think like some sort of middle ground can be reached when it comes to like gentrification and the people who's um, who's here already? 
as opposed yeah. to just like kicking them out? I think there can be. Um, I think there should be. I just don't, it's going to take a minute to do so. And I think the reason, even, I think because it's going to take a minute to do so, I don't know if, I don't know what the time, I don't know if we have the luxury of time. You know what I'm saying? I think what, because I think what needs to happen, in my opinion, is very much in the mindset of like the Nipsey hustle, right? If we're going to, if we're going to gentrify our neighborhood, if the neighborhoods are going to be gentrified, we might as well gentrify our own neighborhoods. We got to buy back the block. We have to be able to put our own stores in there. If it is a Whole Foods, it's a Black-owned Whole Foods. If it's if it is a, you know, if it is going to be the delicatessens and the juice bars and the coffee shops, let it be something that's owned by somebody who lives in that neighborhood. So that money stays in that neighborhood, you know, or even if it's somebody who's outside of the neighborhood, let that money stay in that neighborhood. Let it move around with Black people. Uh, but it's going to take a lot of Black dollars. It's going to take a lot of uh, conversations and low key, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot of buying property from people who possibly don't even want to give it up. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's going to take time. Yeah. I think in, at the end of the day, like everybody has a price. So. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> so like also like the play kind of touches on um, rate death you know homophobia even jordan's like which one of these topics you know hit home with you the most all of them every single one of them and it's just because even even ones that i'm not uh i guess affected by directly just knowing people you know loving people who go through this stuff i every day that we would go through these scenes or break down these different these different feelings or these different emotions that all of the guys in the room would have or be able to connect with. I would go home and the people that I love that I know have gone through this or that I, or I, I, I it just made me wanna love all my people a lot more, man. You know, I, I, it's every single one of these, I connect with man, you know, it's and it's it's literally just it's it's our course. It's a black boy's course. You know, do you see a scenario where um thoughts of a colored man could be adapted as a film, like a big movie production one day? Yeah, absolutely. Uh I think it's I think it's amazing enough. I think Keenan is a great great enough writer. Uh I think I think it could definitely turn into a movie or a television show or whatever you know I think there's so many different ways to kind of go about it and the I, again this is literally just one day in Brooklyn uh seven different lives one day in Brooklyn when we haven't we there's so much left of our story that we we don't talk about I think the the, the most revolutionary part of this is that we're allowing black men to just be, you know? Uh, and, and to see that on a film or on a television show or where, whatever medium it lands on, I, I think it would be just as revolutionary.
kind of transitioning to the wire. Like if you can cast any of the characters in the wire and thoughts of a colored man, like who would you cast them as? Like I'll start with your character, Anger. I think Bodie, JD, I think hmm. he would be a good um Anger. Okay, I can see that. I can see yeah. JD as, as Anger. Uh... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are we talking about the character, like the character that they played from The Wire, or just the actor? Yeah. Not the character that they portrayed on the wire. Okay. Um, Naaman now would be happiness, mm-hmm. and not and not sexuality wise, just because he you know he's gone through a lot, but he would probably be happy. Uh, he'd probably be more of the the happier one. Uh, Dookie would probably be depression. Um, and I'm only going to go with my season. Dookie yeah. would be depression. Um, I think, I think Randy would be passion. Just, he had a passion, you know, he, he wanted, he, he wanted to see, he had a salesman's mindset and that made him happy. There was nothing that made Randy smile more than being able to get off his wares at any, at any time, whatever lunch period he was at. Um, let me see, Anger, season four. Anger, I think Michael would be Anger, which is funny. Michael, Michael would wind up being Anger. Um, he had a lot of stuff that he was, that was bubbling underneath and when his stepdad came out of jail, it started to bubble up, bu- yeah. bu- bubble over. Um, wisdom would be Cuddy. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, wisdom would be Cuddy. And uh, who am I missing? Who am I missing? Um, uh, lust, I think. Oh yeah, love and lust. Love would be. Think about it, think about it, think about it. Who would love be? Oh, love would be Bodhi. Lust would be Pooh. <laughs> I definitely could see that for um, Pooh. Mm-hmm. And this episode is um, coming up as well in a few weeks. Yep, yep. Um, 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 do you see any comparisons between anger and um Michael Lee? Um, yes, I, a few. I think I think again, I think both of them have both of them have been through something traumatic to them, and they are forced to just continue on. And I think that force to just continue on can either create depression or it can create an anger 
And I think for Michael, it created an anger. And it's the same with, it's the same with anger. You know, he, it, it, mm-hmm. he just, he was, he just had to keep trucking on. Back in 2008-ish, like, did you think after all these years later, we would still be talking about The Wire with such great passion, like the episodes are brand new? Nah, I don't think you, I don't think anybody could imagine that something would last that long. I mean, at not even just The Wire, anything that I've, I've been blessed enough to do, you know, I'm always surprised when somebody brings something up like, yo, I loved you in Red Tails. I'm like, damn. All right. I appreciate you watching, man. Yeah, man. I, it's, 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 it's amazing, but it's a testament to good work and being able to do that at such a young age, it's kind of the, it's kind of like the, the cornerstone or like the, 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 it's, it's the, it's the it's the thing that I I can reference to anything else. Like, okay, this is what good work looks like. This is what it feels like. This is how I know that it'll last long. And yeah. If the Y was still going today, like, do you think Michael would still be, you know, terrorizing the streets of Baltimore as a stick-up kid? Terrorizing is a harsh <laughs> word. No, but I, I I the thing about I think I think he's I think Michael learned or just figured after you know dealing with Snoop and everybody this there should be a code there should be a certain there should be certain no's there should be certain things that you that you rock with and that you don't rock with and now that he's on his own he can make those rules for himself so yes I I I I wouldn't say terrorizing the streets, but I do think that just like, just like the big homie Omar, he was the shadow that you never wanted to see down a certain corner. You know, in season one of The Wire, when, when we're first introduced to the character Omar, he said he was age 29. Now you're 32. Like, um, like, do you ever think about stuff like that? Like, damn, like I'm the same age as Omar now. Uh, sometimes sometimes but uh, it's I I, I look at that with with everybody not even just Omar man like Mm -hmm. I think about it I'm like dang I've made it past the age that Tupac and Biggie passed like I made it you know I'm a year away from where Nipsey got to like I'm you know and I think just growing up in the hood we're constantly thinking about our mortality because we're around it so often um you know you know true story I was watching one-on-one the other day and I was like damn I'm the same age as flex now yo it's real man it's real it's real all right man so um what did Michael K the man like mean to you everything everything you know he was he was somebody who as a kid from the projects right I always <laughs> I always used to have like, I went to a predominantly white school when I grew up, right? I went to this school that was K through 12. So I had the same friends since I was in first grade. And whenever I would ask friends to like come to my neighborhood or like, yo, come over, we could play video games or whatever. Nobody wanted to, because I lived in the projects. All of these white kids are being bussed in from this school for a bunch of different places, but uh, I wasn't able to really have 
friends like that or friends from school all of my friends that I knew that would come over to the house and that would I would kick it with were my friends from the project so those are the kids that I leaned with once I did the wire even then you know I'm, I'm like I don't live in a project what do I look like asking celebrities and this that and the third to come to my projects and all of that I remember my dad was doing a block party one time and he said hey um come to the barbershop I got there's a surprise here for you I was like a surprise all right go to the shop and Michael K is at my dad's barbershop across the street from the projects my dad is doing the block party Michael K literally came kicked it for the day and that wasn't even the only time he he would come to Stapleton to come check on me to make sure I was good since I was a kid. I was 15, 16 years old. I, I was told from friends nobody would want to come to my neighborhood because of where I live. And now I have celebrities coming by to come see where I'm from. And Michael K doing that for me, Michael K, Snoop, Banga, all of these, like they were my family, man. Uh, Michael K is legitimately my big brother. Like he was my mentor. If I needed anything, he, he was there. And man, he was my heart. You asked you ask me what, what is he to me? He's everything. What's like the greatest piece of advice he's given you like as an actor or just as a man? Huh, just be, man, just be. And I, it, was, it, was a, it was something acting wise that he was talking about, but it's something that, can, that connects to life as well. You know, I think a lot of, in a lot of places, we, we tend to, as black men and women, we tend to fragment ourselves and fit the piece that fits for the situation and use the piece that fits for the situation, right? Like if you're talking to a superior, somebody who, who is like over you at work, speak a certain way, you act a certain way. When you're home with your family, you act a speak a certain way when you're home with your with your with your wife or your husband you know you speak a certain way there's so many different ways that we fragment ourselves and we just fit the piece in that that matter that works for the situation but him just saying and I think it, it didn't hit me at the moment it hit me way after but him just saying just be man don't you don't gotta worry about trying to do this for said character or trying to blah, 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 blah. Just be, the truth will come out. The truth will be all, the, all in the work. That was, that, that's probably one of the, the biggest, the best things that he's ever taught me. Do you remember like what she was doing when, when you found out when he um, passed away? Yeah, I was, it was the day before we started rehearsal for, for the play oh, wow. yeah literally yeah the day before we started rehearsal for the play you know me and my wife was rummaging around the house with the with the baby you know making sure everything was good I get a call from um the publicist the old publicist from HBO who was like my mom you know she, she like literally raised me just um and she called me and said, I wanted to tell you before anybody else told you or before you found out in the news. And she told me. And yeah. Yeah, man. There's some heavy stuff, man. Like when people I like genuinely like, when I see them like pass away, like, like 
like stuff like that is hard for me to to process. Yeah, same. Yeah, man. So Michael K and Omar, you know, his influence is still around today. You know, just the other day, I was watching the BMF show and I see Lamar with a shotgun do rag and um, trench coat, just like Omar. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think that that's a direct seed of the wire, or like a a direct seed from that character? That might. I mean, I, I I can I can say. I can say so or something similar, but you know, I, I don't, I don't know what happens in these writing rooms. I don't know where the thoughts or the ideas come from. You know, I, I, I know Michael K made an indelible mark on the world with that do rag, that trench coat, and that shotgun. So you'd be hard pressed to to tell somebody uh, that you aren't at least inspired by what he did. So again, I don't know what they did, but we we know we know what we know. So so like now you have a new show on Apple TV. It's called Swaggers, produced by KD. Can you tell us a little bit about the show? So the show Swagger, uh, it's basically about uh, this this young man on his journey through the AAU sorry, the grassroots basketball programs, uh, just basically kind of showing the things that these young, these young athletes go through at such a young age, all of the different pressures, the different people coming at them from different ways and, and all of that while still being a young black man that's in high school or in, in middle school trying to figure it out. Is this the first sports theme show that you've been on? Yeah, I would, I would think, I think so. Everything else has been kind of steeped in other things, life, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I think this is the first one. Yeah. And sort of the last question for the day was, um, I noticed like you were first you were an actor, then you kind of jumped into music. Like, and you sort of kind of remind me as most stuff, like you, like both of you made your bones as actors before you transitioned to music. Like where would you rank him as an actor? Most deaf? To me, he yeah, he's one of the best, you know, actors turned rappers or rappers turned actors in the world. Oh my God, the the king Yasin, uh, Yasin Bey, the the king. I he's very much up there in my in my top five just because he he's not. You know who he reminds me a lot of, and I think she would have been so great if she would have did more. Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill was so effortless in, in, in Sister Act. It felt natural. And everything that Mostef has been in, he just feels very natural. It feels very real. It's very grounded work. Jamie Foxx, of course, is, uh, is in that as well. You know, but most is, I, I don't know. Most is different, man. Most is, most, is, most is dope. Most is dope. But thank you. I love that comparison. I appreciate that. All right, man. So on that on that note, I want to thank you for joining me today. You know, I really appreciate your time. Are you working on any new projects? Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, the short film that I that I wrote, directed, and uh, produced, and I'm starring in is in ABFF right now. So everybody can go watch that right now for the whole month of November for at uh, ABFFplay.com, mm -hmm. and it's free. So you can go check that out. And uh, 
you know, we got some music dropping soon. So we just working, man. All right, bro. Thanks again for your time. I really do appreciate you. Thank you, man. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.